lover of all things lit, professional reviewer, recommender, book blogger. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, aka The Book Sage, and you're listening to Lit with Lloyd, courtesy of KCAT Radio. Greetings, and welcome to Lit with Lloyd. I am your host, Lloyd Russell, and my guest tonight is Tim Myers, who is, and I quote, writer, storyteller, songwriter, and teacher. Uh, we will explore many of those things, maybe even all of them. <laughs> Welcome, Tim, and thanks for taking the time to do this. Lloyd, I am so grateful to you. I should be thanking you. This is wonderful. I haven't seen you personally for a long time, it, yeah. which is a thrill. And it's also great to do the show, so thank you. Good. All right. Well, that could be my first thank you, so I, I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, okay. I want to start with something that might not be what exactly you were thinking of talking about. However, is there anybody in your family that might be uh, writing a book that's going to be coming out? <laughs> so uh, just today, my daughter, I came in the little office in our house where she works. Uh, she lives with us for Bay Area rent reasons. And uh, <laughs> the entire floor of the room was covered with piles of multicolored index cards. Uh, this is because my daughter's working on the rewrite of a book, which Lloyd very kindly is asking about, that's been accepted for publication. It's a it's a crime novel. Wow. Uh, she's very much a writer and is deeply involved in it. And uh, that's going to be coming out, we hope, in the fall. So we'll see. But I mean, but, but I mean it's like... My daughter's like, um, Dad, Mom, is it okay if I leave these things? We're going, of course. <laughs> I love living in a house with index cards all over the floor yeah. of a room. Yeah. Well, I do know a little bit about what you're going through because Josh, you know, had a children's book that was published. Exactly. So, um, it was fortunately it was not about crime since it was about <laughs> his son, but. Uh, but it was it was it's an exciting thing as a parent to to go through that. Yeah, two proud papas. That's yeah, what we've got here. Yeah, I think exactly. that's so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. All right. So, let me ask you a few things about yourself. <laughs> how many years have you been writing, and how did you get started writing books? We'll talk about the genres in a minute. You know, uh, it's funny because. Um, I was a teacher educator for almost 20 years, and one of the things we would often do, which is important for people who are looking for that as a, as a profession, is ask them why they want to become teachers. And time and again, there would be students who would write, I knew I wanted to be a teacher when I was in fourth grade, fifth grade, and, uh, but it wasn't always true. So I'm one of those people who had no idea I was a writer when I was young. It just kind of happened. Uh, it happened in what I think is a very beautiful way, but... Um, I wasn't one of those people who just had it in my head from the beginning. In fact, even, well, so what happened is I had a, I went to a Catholic grade school in Colorado Springs and my, uh, <laughs> we had an assignment the teacher said to write an essay or something and uh, we all turned them in for some reason, Lloyd, again, at the time I had no idea this was pure impulse in a kid. And I, was a, I wasn't a scholarly kid. I got, I got an F in second grade in reading comprehension, which drives my reading comprehension specialist wife crazy now. Grades in second grade? Oh, 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 this is, hey, hey, this is okay. old school. Old another school. story. Yeah, yeah, another story. Yeah, I could tell you stories about that. So I wasn't that kid. I was goofy and I wasn't interested in school or anything like that. And I, so I wrote this poem, which was about St. Stephen the Martyr, of all things. He's the guy who got shot with all the arrows. Uh, and the next day she said, okay, boys and girls, it's time for recess. Tim, will you stay behind and talk to me? And of course I was like, holy crap, I'm in so much trouble. My first thought was education those days. I didn't follow directions. 
Uh, but she said, and I'm standing there just shaking in my corduroys, and she says, uh, Tim, you know that poem you wrote? And I was like, yes, sister. She said, I liked it. And honest to God, I can still remember, Lloyd, to this day, I almost fell over, right? And she encouraged me, so I wrote more poems, and she put them in a little booklet. And this was just amazing. And this is a, I mean, I never thanked her. I was too young, and I, she's long dead now, but I would give my eye teeth to thank her. That was the spark that lit the fire. Even then, it took me a long time. I mean, I just started, and I was following my impulse and all that kind of thing. But that's actually when it started. And uh, I'm really happy to tell that story because this is a teacher who just lit somebody up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, all right, so other than a book of poetry or a folder of poetry, <laughs> when when did you decide to actually write a book? You know, that's, a, that's such an interesting question because you'd think it would have a simple answer. But again, I don't know exactly why I am the way I am about this and the way I was. I often say that I became an artist the way an apple ripens. The apple doesn't think about ripening. It just hangs there and ripens. So, you know, at, at the next year, my mom bought this old upright piano. I took piano lessons for about four weeks, hated it, and then started playing the piano on my own, too. And I had no idea. I hadn't, I hadn't shown any interest in this. There was no... And so little by little, I just kept doing these things more and more. I kept writing things. By the time I was in high school, I was writing down lyrics to songs and writing more poems. But I had the thought of publishing or submitting never... It didn't enter my mind for decades. Um, I won a, th a third place in a high school poetry contest when I was a junior, and that kind of woke me up too, because it was the first time I'd ever done anything since Sister Boniface was her name, uh, where somebody else had responded to it. Um, but again, I just kept doing it. And of course, one of the things you hear from writers all the time is you don't, they feel very loath to call themselves writers. Uh, by the way, there's a certain group of people who are happy to call themselves writers, <laughs> and they spend a lot of time on social media talking about how the writers, less writing is going on there. But um, Real writers, are they're, they don't want to claim something they don't think they've earned. So I couldn't call myself a poet for years. I mean, I can. it's, like, it's almost like AA. Hi, I'm Tim. I'm a poet. You know, I have to actually make myself say it. But so anyway, so it, it kept going on and on, and at some point... And I'm a, I was a late bloomer, too, is a big part of it. But the first children's book I ever published was 1990. So, well, you know, I mean, that's I was fairly old at the time. I don't want to do the math because I'm terrible <laughs> at that. But, um, and, I'd, I, you know, I'd done a, entered a few little contests in the meantime. I had family. You know, my wife and I are very committed parents. I stayed home with my kids twice. We were working. And when you're teaching, it's a huge there's a huge time commitment. I was a coach for 10 years along with that, which means even more. So in other words, I was always keeping a journal. I always had things going, but it, it took a long time to form and it just kind of ripened. But 1990 is when it started. And why children's books? I'll tell you, it's funny. Uh, there are two reasons. <laughs> um, I was always a writer. This happens to a lot of people when they're young. In fact, it happened with my daughter. They, they're writing things for their age when they're young so you think that they're interested in that genre at that level. Well, they're only doing that because that's their reality. So my daughter was a YA writer when she was a young adult, but as she got older, she still wrote her reality, which meant there are books for adults. So um, I can remember children's writing, I had this amazing moment where, well, it's, it's something, because that's been a kind of pattern for me. Um, I was an adult writer because at that point I was an adult and everything I was writing for adults, it never crossed my mind to write for kids or, or teenagers. Never crossed my mind. 
So my sons were born and we used to tell stories. I used to tell them stories and we'd go to the library every week and max out the number of books we could get. And I'd read to them because we knew it was important for their reading. So one day I pull out this one book that we just pulled off the shelves and I read it to my sons. It takes about five minutes. At the beginning of that five minutes, Lloyd, I was not a children's writer. At the end of that five minutes, I was. Whoa. And I remember when I closed that book, I just went, oh my God, you can do this with children's children's books? Marie Sendak, Where the Wild Things Are. I, I still think it's a literary masterpiece. It To me, that is a book that is a genre masterpiece, the genre being children's. Absolutely. Book. And the other reason was totally practical, teaching, family, you know, coaching, all that stuff. Children's books, I thought, at least I can get those finished. I've got time enough to write short things. So I could write poetry, I could write songs, and I could write children's books because these were things I could get finished, which is one of the reasons I'm now writing my first novel at my very advanced age, even though I have file cabinets full of multiple novel ideas, many of which are highly developed. But it was this question of how much time are you going to have for that size of a project? And it just, you know, just, it just went that way. So there was a, a very inspirational reason and there was a very practical reason. <laughs> All right, so side note, in case you don't know this, and I'm sure I've said this on, on air more than once, um, Maurice Sendak originally wanted to write a book called Where the Wild Horses Are. Do you know this? I've heard about this, yeah. And he couldn't draw a horse. <laughs> Is that the most amazing transformation of all time it is plus i can't believe that marie sendak couldn't draw i know that guy could draw naked babies floating through over a milk bottle i mean how you know i know that's an amazing story but it's it's one of my favorite uh pieces of trivia well literary trivia but i mean that that book is so great i love trivia about it you know it's one of those things where you you, yes learning more about him and what he thought everything is absolutely worth it and that book by the way is an absolutely stunning piece of poetry uh-huh. I mean, just the text is stunning. It is evergreen to me. Every time I read it, and it's like 56 words or something. I mean, and he did a lot of other things that are amazing too, but you, I, I, I'm trying at this moment to recapture, which is easy to do, this incandescent thrill I had at reading that book to my kids. By the way, by the I'm two pages into that book and I'm like, I'm not even paying attention to my sons. <laughs> and I come to the scene where no words, no text. Yep. Yep. Where they're all, yep. you know, like worshiping the moon. And I thought the bottom of my soul was just going to fall out. I mean, this was, that is such a potent, multi-layered, symbolic. And yet, I mean, it's, it's all of that. And yet it hits kids right where they live, right? So this was one of these things I, th- I can see now that that led me to other wow. deep interests in genre where you have these, what I call trans-realist works, fantasy or whatever, that are able to do something just superlative and powerful, but be very popular and mainstream, like the great folk tales and myths, yeah. which I have a huge interest in. Well, it also reminds me of, of authors like Pat Conroy, who could write so well, but still be readable. Right, right. Yeah, right. so that, that's, that's who I always right. think of when I, you know, the one, somebody that, that is, such, so, is so literary, and yet he's not, he's not getting Pulitzer Prizes that's for right. being literary. Right, that's right. You know, and then everybody can enjoy his books. And that's one of the, that spectrum is always there for writers. Um, I want to work at both ends of that spectrum. I mean, I have some weird, surreal ideas for books, and I have some very straightforward... In fact, the novel I'm working on now, I'm very purposely putting it in kind of the grand action story uh, mode, but I also want it to be 
I want it to be like uh, Farewell to Arms is a war novel, but it's also so yeah, much yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so again, I like I like that whole range, but some people obviously are against the readable end of the of the spectrum, and I'm I don't have that disdain at all, <laughs> at all. Well, I'll have you know that my two-year-old grandson loves where the wild things are. Well, yeah, this is what he's two years old. I'm 68, and we're both going. We love this book. Yeah, I, I yeah. mean that's a marvel. You know, that's a marvel. Yeah. Side note: I'm older than you. Okay. 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 Uh, Glad we got that out of the way. Yeah. How many children's books have you written, and when was the first one that you actually published, and how were you published? So my first one was in 1990. I found okay. it's a Hawaiian book. Um, we had we had gone to Hawaii. Actually, before we got to Hawaii, I knew that there was a fish in Hawaii. It's a state fish, if I'm remembering right, called the Humahuma Nuka Nuka Apawa, which nobody nobody who I knew had ever heard of. Maybe Californians <laughs> know more about this. Um, and when we got to Hawaii, I found out there's another fish called the Lao Vili Vili Nuka Nuka Oi Oi. <laughs> And my writer brain just went, oh my God, okay, what if the Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Apawa'a got married to the Lao Vili Vili Nuka Nuka Oi Oi, what would they ever name their kid? And I was like, bingo, there it is, right? And so I got, it got it published by a small Hawaiian press, Ah, right? So that was, and that was wonderful. Um, the, number, the number of children's books I've written is probably, I mean, I don't know for sure, but if... Easily two hundred, probably more. Really? But, well, again, children's books. You can you can sit down and bang out a children's book. I know, book but in that's afternoon. still a lot of books. Well, it is, and I'm I'm a person who loves to work and loves to write, so so it's that kind of thing. But it's um, I, and I guess part of that too is I always think of cottonwoods. You know, cottonwood is like when June comes and you start seeing the comas with the seeds in them. The cottonwood, like a lot of trees, its whole uh, you know reproductive strategy is send out a gazillion. <laughs> and some of them will land, you know? So this is kind of what I've always done with art is I've just produced a lot. And then you see what's the best and see what you can do with it, right? But yeah, no, I, in fact, I have a, I have a tub in my office, you know, this big, one of those orange bins that's this full of children's book, books, book ideas. And I get a lot more in other places too. I, you know, a lot of them are in folders and stuff. So I never have any problem with that. <laughs> it's funny though, I always laugh about this because if that sounded like a boast, it was not. It is one thing to say somebody is precocious. I was never precocious. I didn't, st I mean, I started in fifth grade, but I, you know, sixth grade, I guess it was. But I, I am prolific. But when you say, people go, oh, what a prolific author. I'm like, yeah. there are people in mental institutions who are prolific. You know, it, I mean, it, it all depends on the quality. Just because you write a whole bunch of stuff doesn't mean any of it's any good. So I'm very prolific because I love it so much. Whether it's good or not is not for me to judge, you know, that kind of thing. Can can I buy all two hundred? Are they all? In oh no no, they're not published. Those are oh yeah yeah no. I have I have twenty, so I have like twenty four traditionally published children's books, and I have three or four more that have been turned into eBooks by Cricket because they originally appeared in one of the Cricket magazines. So those are the published ones. No published, yeah, that's a whole different thing. Okay, Cottonwood, only a few, only a few <laughs> of them land. land. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and. Your first book was published by the small mm -hmm. uh, press in Hawaii. What about your 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 follow up? So, how did they get published? I've been published by all over the place. You know, what happened then was I wrote Basho and the Fox, which actually probably is the biggest response I've ever gotten. 
it's the weirdest thing in the world, but I'm actually a New York Times bestseller for children's books. How cool is that? Well, it's it's not as cool as it may sound financially because it lasted for one weekend. <laughs> you know, in the book industry, we have a weird situation that you don't have in a lot of other industries, which is returns. So Daniel Pinkwater, who's a very famous writer at the time, came on Morning Edition with Steve Inskey, I think it was, and read my book aloud. And, oh, wow. You know, and, and he told my editor, if I, when, I, when I bring a book to Morning Edition, uh, it'll sell 40,000 copies. Well, it sold a bunch. I mean, it, it went to bookstores, but it didn't sell that much. So I was, I was gone. I made a little money, very little money. But that, so that publisher started taking more books from me, and I can't remember, I think two or three or four books with them. Okay. And then I, you know, I'm always, another thing you do if you're a writer is you're always looking for, for publishers. So I, I landed a bunch of books with other publishers. Almost all of my, pub, well, I shouldn't say almost, all of my publishers have been absolutely wonderful. You just, I got really lucky with that. You, you run into problems with publishers sometimes. Like I got a, a verbal commitment once from a publisher stringing me along for six months. When another guy comes in and says, sorry, we're not going to do it. I, you know, but that kind of stuff just happens. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. publishers have been great. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all over the place. Let's put it that way. And are you still getting books published, or has it been a while since you've published your last children's book? It, it has been a little while. Those three ebooks came out, and that was done by Cricket. You know, I didn't do that, so I've had something every year. But I, I'm definitely in a. I'm not publishing as much as I was before, and the biggest reason for that, I hope, is that I'm, I realized that, that that it was long past time for me to jump into these big projects. So I jumped into two huge projects, which are. The, this novel, by the way, <laughs> it's funny because when I started writing it, I thought, why did you pick this for your first novel? It's a <laughs> fantasy young adult adult ah. series. So the world building that's involved in this is huge. And then the other one is a musical, my other big project. So that's also huge. It's a lot of work. But I mean, I'm just as happy as a lark that I get to work on. But, it, but it, it's, it's a big time commitment, let's say. Yeah. All right. I want to get back into that. We're going to take a quick break and then we shall return with Tim Myers. Thank you to the city of Montessorino for their continued support of KCAT Public Media. The city of Montessorino has enabled KCAT to inspire, educate, entertain, and inform our community through the magic of television and digital media for over 38 years. Thank you. Okay, and we are back with Tim Myers. Uh, so, before we ended uh, that first segment, you indicated that you're working on two big projects. One of them being a, a novel, an actual, you said a crime novel? A fantasy novel. Oh, you did. You said yeah. that's exactly what you said. It's a fantasy <laughs> novel. Um, by the way, and I mean this sincerely, one of my all-time favorite books is a young adult fantasy. There's, there's absolute. It's never about the genre. It's about the writing. I could not agree more, Lloyd. That is absolutely perfect. And in my mind, this goes back to exactly what I'm saying about where the wild things are. Like you said, your two-year-old nephew, is that what you said? Uh, grandson. Grandson, right? Here I am at my age. He's two years old. We meet in this text, in this story. Yeah. So what I... Ursula Gwynn is one of my favorite writers and long has been and I, I, I love her work and I use it as a model but um, 
I also deeply admire her and I'm grateful to her for what the inroads she made in the big, you know, official literary community with her work because she got all these huge awards and she's the one who started breaking the glass ceiling for the genre writers. Now, plenty of genre, okay, so we're talking, so in the fall, I'm actually going to be teaching genre lit at Santa Clara University for the first time. I've been teaching children's and young people's lit. And so now I'm going to teach genre fiction. It's, and I'm just, I can't wait to do it. I'm just fascinated with it. Particularly because there still are these lingering ideas about genre, like romance, like mystery and crime, like westerns, like science fiction, like fantasy, all these different things, alternative history as being lesser works. Now, to me, it's just amazing when you think about it. I call it the disappearing genre phenomenon. Hmm. Somebody writes a book, a near future book about a dystopic society where there's government control, complete media control, uh, and this is about the deepest political issues, is called 1984 by George Orwell. <laughs> oh, that's a novel. Wait a minute. That's a science fiction novel. That's a near future science fiction novel. As soon as it gets really good in a literary way, then the genre part is lost uh -huh. in the minds of many people, and there are many, many examples like that, right? So my young adult adult fantasy if if Maurice Sendak can do it by the way not comparing myself to Maurice <laughs> Sendak but if he can bridge that two year old to 68 year old then I think I can write a book that will work for young adults and for adults and the interesting thing is as you probably know you see different numbers but huge numbers of adults are reading work for young adults mm -hmm. I mean you mm -hmm. see as much as 50 60 70 percent of these books are being read by adults not by young people so what we have there, like you said, it's it's about the story. It's Absolutely. about the writing. Again, and, and people are really pushing the boundaries in young adult fiction right now, too, in a lot of ways. So it's a really, to me, this is a huge, what do I want to say? There's something very um, holistic about this kind of literature, if you do it right, which just, just thrills me to no end, the possibilities for that. I think that's great. I mean... For me, it's all about a writer making me, allowing me, convincing me mm. to make an emotional connection, because you can't, you can't, you can't dictate that. No. And and I've read, I've read as we all have some of the biggest novels across the country, around the world. They've done nothing for me. So I don't blame the author. It's no. not about the author, no. but but. This 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 young adult fantasy, I mean, it was about two young women yeah. that went back and forth, and at the at the end of every chapter, I said, "Oh no, the chapter's over," and then I would say the same thing uh, the next time. That's all. That's what it is. Our book club, we've counted, has done somewhere between thirty-five and forty different genres. That's awesome. And of course, you'll be on there when your book is completed. This is what I want to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, so where are you in the novel? What is the timing? Roughly, I'm not trying to no, no. hurry you. No, no, no. But, but do you have a sense of, of when it'll be ready to send out to publishers, or are you going to get an agent? How's it going to work? So I, I love the question, actually. And one of the reasons I love the question is because there's kind of an iceberg phenomenon that I'm at right now. I have just finished chapter one. It's going to be 10 chapters. Just the last couple of days, I started working on chapter two. So you could say, well, you, you've, you've finished a 10th, and that's just a draft, because obviously I'm going to revise and revise and revise. Right. 
and I hope I don't have to do one of those Michael Shabon Yiddish policeman unions thing where he had this whole world and he had the whole thing and then he just like he threw out his entire story and started over with the new story. I mean, this kind of thing. No kidding. But so you could say, well, you're you're a tenth of the way done. Well, because of world building. I'm probably 70% done with this book because of all the years of world building that I've done and all the work I've done to get that world building stuff organized. So I had, I still have like on my, one of my bookcases in my room, I've got a shelf like this, all paper. I'm still a paper in this stuff, right? And another one about three fourths of the way and all of that part, I knew I was gonna do Yeah, that. first time. Yeah, exactly. All of that is for this book and subsequent books and the world building stuff. So I've done a huge amount of work for that. My hope is that I can get this thing done by the end of the summer, which is blisteringly fast for a lot of writers, yeah. um, because I wanna do more work on the musical. And I'm collaborating with a wonderful colleague of mine. We're, we're performing, we're having her students perform parts of the musical as we write it. So that's the hope. Okay. Uh, well, let's let's digress then to the musical. I mean, you are a songwriter. Happy to, yeah. And 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 how long have you been teaching at SCU, which is my alma mater, by the oh, way? Oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, I went to grad school there. Go Broncos. What did you, you get your degree in? In uh, law, law, actually. In law. Wow. Which I never went into. I was going to say, have I <laughs> have I given you any litigious possibilities here tonight? We'll have to ask Sham. I said your plaid shirt was cool. Yeah, ask Sham. Um, I. It's one of those things, this is something that came late in life to me and I kind of just like, you know, hit myself in the head with it. Actually, the original impetus for this was, I'm deeply concerned with the problem with the broken revenue model in the music industry. Um, I think, and, you know, different opinions about this, but Spotify and other people have done a great job in stopping piracy, not all of it, but most of it. However, the number, there are millions of Spotify users that are on free tier, which in my opinion, and again, people disagree, uh, that constitutes legal piracy. These are people who are getting music for nothing. If all of those people were paying, which would be a hard sell, by the way, um, <clears throat> we'd have more money to pay people because it's Spotify stream. The rate per stream per song is really low. It's like point zero 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 six cent of a cent for each stream, right? Um, so I, I was thinking about this because I'm a songwriter, and you know, I'm wondering how that whole thing is, could work out. I mean, you can. It is quite possible today for people to have significant success, not Ariana Grande, you know, Death Cab for Cutie level success, but significant success and make almost no money. And I suddenly thought, well, one thing you could do is you could write a show. Because if you write a musical, people have to come to you because they come for the show. Yeah. I mean, they could obviously steal the music if they wanted or whatever. Uh, and then I thought, Tim, my... <laughs> My uh, website, my personal, God, this sounds like a perfect transition to plugging my website. It isn't, I didn't mean <laughs> hey, that. Hey, this is what we're doing here. My website is tmyerstorysong.com. I mean, and I chose that because that represents me, Story Song. And I was like, Tim, Story Song, it's called a musical. And I started thinking about a musical and now I have a number of ideas and I'm working on this one. And you know, Lloyd, the way it goes is you, you never know anything you do as an artist is ever gonna have any success. I mean, the, the odds are against you. By the way, this is a musical. I mean, we have wonderful, wonderful regional theater around here. Uh, obviously, my ultimate goal would, be, goal would be to get it on Broadway, but what is the likelihood of me actually getting a musical performed? It is extremely low. Well, you go on to it with faith and you have faith in yourself and confidence in what you can do. And, and I'm saying I really like the way it's turning out now. And I've also seen part of it staged by students and so I can see how it works on stage. So, you know, I'm gonna keep working on it. And it's just, oh my God, it's so fun. 
Wow. It's so fun. Uh, you know, putting it together is just, it's work, but it's really fun. Have you, but have you done songwriting prior to this? Years and years of songwriting. Huh. Oh, yeah. And, and, and were they just for your own benefit or? Well, no, and I've always wanted to do something with them. But again, you know, I got, here's one of my, here's one of my things. I am a monogamist in life and a polygamist in art. And I'm a randy <laughs> damn polygamist when it comes to art, right? So storytelling and, and songwriting and um, writing. And then I also recently, this is the end of it for me. It's my last whole new area to work in. But I've been doing a lot of visual art lately, which I kind of put on the back burner for years, right? So as a strategy, this is probably one of the stupidest approaches to a life <laughs> in the arts that you could possibly, why would I split myself four ways and try to, and I, I've asked myself that question many times. And again, it's kind of like, okay, should I ask this woman to marry me? She drinks too much. I'm, this is not a reflection on anybody real, particularly not my wife. She drinks too much. She owes a lot of money. I shouldn't. This is a bad, this is not rational. Yeah. Oh my God, I love her. You know, it's that kind of thing. So I couldn't resist all these things. I just couldn't resist. And being super busy for a long time and not being able to work at the level I wanted to uh, was another huge factor. But I'm just like, hey, we're all going to die. I want to live a life that's worthy. You know, I want to live a life that has this, just this shimmering meaning for me. And so I'm just going to keep pushing. And, and if it comes through, great. If it doesn't, I lived. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. All right, I want to get back to uh, to your books for a moment. Sure. So you've talked about, you know, roughly a couple dozen children's books mm -hmm. that you have uh, that you've had published. But a book that I absolutely loved was uh, Glad to be Dad, A Call to Fatherhood. How nice of you love to that mention book. that. So so tell us about that. Well, I'll tell you what I'm thinking about that book these days a lot is things keep coming up. I keep reading things, I hear people talking to them about family, about gender, about husbands and wives or partners, obviously not everybody's hetero. These things keep coming up and we still have this hugely complicated mess in the way our society does family. Now, my parents were old school Catholic conformists and that world was set up for them. I'm the oldest of 11 kids, by the way. Whoa. Yeah. So think of what my mom and dad had to do to keep us housed, clothed, fed, you know, in school. Wow. Um, but it was one thing they had was they had this very clear division of labor. Domestic was all her. Work and money was all him. Well, the whole world is set up that way because that's been such a common pattern. Not every culture does it that way and there have been some changes. And by the way, we're going through a lot of changes in America and a lot of other places. Uh, but we still we still have that problem. So one of the things, this is the kind of thing that come up. You're reading the newspaper in 2022 and it says, well, women still do you know a, a much higher percentage of the housework on average than men do when the wife and the husband are both working or both partners are working. By the way, what I've read recently is if same-sex couples are better at this, they divide this labor more equably, right? But I'm like, okay, so that's not right. She's working full-time, he's working full-time, She's doing more housework? That's not fair, right? So I and what I, I'm like, read my book. My book is about how you make this transition and the, the funny parts of it and the serious parts of it. So I, again, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up. It's one of those things where I put a lot into it. I'm very proud of it. It has sold basically nothing. Really? You know? Yeah. I mean, this is the way it goes. You know, what is it? What does it take to get? to get out there, right? So I'm very satisfied about writing that book. But And this is what I always say too. For writers or artists in general, 
it, the whole thing is a circle. I love what you said about you're reading this YA novel and this thing just gets you and you don't want the chapters to end. There's that moment. This is the thing that's like the, the engine of art is one human being is meeting another human being in a work of art. And if they really meet, something magic happens, something powerful, which is happening for you in that book. Right, right. right. So I want this book to get out there and do that, but it's not it's not connecting. And you never know what's going to make it connect and what's not going to make it connect. So I always say, as the artist, I draw half the circle. As the reader or viewer or listener, you draw the other half. Uh-huh. Well, I can't worry about the other half. I, all I can control is my half. So I'm just going to keep drawing my half a circle and hope that my circles all come whole. And when that happens, again, that's that's incredible. That's very hard to describe just how beautiful and powerful that is. That, that's an interesting analogy. I certainly have never thought of it that way. Uh, so the book was did not sell particularly well? It's still out there. My wonderful publisher, Familius Books, Christopher Robinson, he believes in leaving books out there, but it just did not sell. And most of my books have not sold. I mean, this is just... This is just the way it is. Books that I'm really proud of, they sell or they don't sell. And of course, so what we try to do as artists is that we try to promote ourselves. And if we're lucky, we get invited on a wonderful show like this and we can you know, put the word out there. But you never yeah. know what's going to connect. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. That's life. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, okay, so we got the novel coming out uh, or being finished. <laughs> yeah, I, love, <laughs> yeah. I love the way you're like, when is this book going to be out to my book? I'm like... Oh my God, Lloyd, I could put all this work into this thing and nobody could accept it. I mean, this, this is what you're dealing with, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, just so you know, I would be happy to be an early reader. Oh, thank you. Of well, the book, because I love that up. stuff. I'll take you up on that. Great, okay. Absolutely. All right. Um, that pretty much does it for us. Um, it was great having you. Certainly great to see you again, but great you know. having you on the show. Uh, and. We're closing the book on today's podcast. I want to thank Tim for being on the show. I want to thank KCAP always for uh, for their support and uh, supervision uh, <laughs> and technical expertise. Uh, and we will definitely see you next time. Thanks. You just heard Lit with Lloyd here on KCAT Radio. Explore all our KCAT original programming at kcat.org slash radio.